0: Very good morning, once again, and I'm uh, so glad that you are able to join us, whether you're here in person or joining us online. Uh, we want to uh, look into this um, um, a new series, looking at the Book of Job, and it's part of the lectionary reading. So for the next three weeks, it's sort of a mini series. It's not a, uh, a, a you know long drawn out one. And it's really giving us an overview because we're taking selections uh, from that book and obviously not going through it uh, verse by verse in a, a normal sense when we normally do book studies. Uh, but, you know, just to set up what I want to share, I don't know how many of you are finding nowadays our news reports quite depressing, right? <laughs> you, you look into uh, the, the news and you see that rising infections are becoming a reality. This is a COVID situation report put out by Ministry of Health. And, you know, it tells you where all the um, cases are and how many people have been tested positive, in what neighbourhoods. You know, you zoom in and uh, you begin to see... uh, um, Ashley, can you help me advance? I don't know. Yeah, (laughs) this is where the church is. This is where I live also. Right? It's not too bad, but still, you can see that there are many cases all around. And uh, it's not just, um, you know, the threat of the virus itself, but the effects of this pandemic have uh, been seen. Business Times tells us that those aged between 35 and 54, I just slipped outside, so maybe I'm okay, right? (laughs) But within that age group, they are the hardest hit by COVID-19. Not necessarily because they've contracted the virus, but many of them happen to be in the sandwich generation, so financially they find themselves squeezed. They are, are struggling not only with their children in school and home-based learning and, you know, the, the, the stresses and all that entails, but also taking care of their elderly parents who may be most at risk and their concerns. They are also facing lots of stress at work. You know, uh, study after study after study has shown that uh, in the workplace, stress levels have gone through the roof and um not only that you know sometimes uh, working from home is a mixed blessing <laughs> right uh, you can have too much of a good thing and so the 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 realities of this pandemic uh, obviously bring home uh, this issue of suffering but then if that's not bad enough our children also suffer you all know the latest controversy every year uh, trust me there will always be a math problem that everyone you know is up in arms about but nonetheless, uh, last night in our CG, we were talking and about the stresses of um, having to deal with this pandemic, you know, maybe people in the family coming down, and then the children being put on leave of absence, and they're not sure whether they can go for the exam or not go for the exam, or they can, and there are all kinds of complications, and it, it, you know, it adds to the suffering that we encounter. But as you know, as we think about suffering, oftentimes the question we may ask, uh, don't try and Solve this math problem, okay? I know you <laughs> won't be able to. I'm sorry I showed this to you. But nonetheless, you know, the, the the reality is that suffering is part and parcel of life. And one of the most natural things we tend to ask when we encounter suffering is the question, why me? Which is why I've entitled today's sermon, Why Me? Whoops. We want to look at wisdom from above. Last few weeks, we went through the book of James, which is also a book of practical wisdom. But this book, uh, Job, is also a book on wisdom, and it's part of what is called wisdom literature. I'm not going to show you uh, this video from the Bible Project because I discovered yesterday I used it and it took up a bit of time. You can go and watch it yourself. You can Google Bible Project. It's available. You can download it, share it with your friends. It's made available. They give you overviews of books of the Bible, and they have a very good overview of the book of Job. Six minutes, it's all it takes you to, to watch through it and, and gain the context. But, you know, it, it points out that there are three books in particular called Wisdom. Uh, it's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Proverbs talks about the fact that God has set up this world, you know, in his own wise way with wisdom and with justice. That there's meant to be where you work hard, you get the just desserts. And and likewise, if you, you know, don't play by the rules, you'll be sure to be found out. And that's the way God had set the world up to be. But Ecclesiastes shows that that's not always the case. You know, the reality is that the righteous sometimes suffer. Not sometimes, oftentimes suffer. And the wicked prosper. And things don't seem to be quite right. And so it leaves you with the question at the end of Ecclesiastes, is God truly wise and just? And Job is the book in which that uh, question is actually answered. Not in a way that you would typically think of, but certainly in a way that uh, I think really helps us to understand it. And And we're going to look at Job and although Job is the name of the book and seems like to, the, to be the main character, in reality, this book is more about God. And in truth, you know, as Christians, let me tell you the key to understanding the Bible. God is the main character in every book of the Bible. Yes, there are human uh, people that are being talked about, their encounters with God, but at the end of the day, the Bible is meant to point us to Him. For us to understand who God is, His character, how He has acted in the past, and how He will continue to act in the present and in the future. And, you know, we want to look at this book as we try and understand, is God wise and just? We pick it up from verse 1 of Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned Away from evil. It's clear from Scripture, not just in the book of Job, but elsewhere where Job is mentioned, that Job was an upright man. He was a good man. And yet, if you read through, especially chapters 1 and 2, you see what has happened to him. You know, there are awfully bad things that have happened to this good person, Job. Job. What's really peculiar is that, you know this is something which you don't find anywhere else, or hardly ever, in Scripture, you get, you know, the curtains pulled back to a heavenly conversation that takes place, highlighting uh, um, um, a conversation between God and Satan, or Satan, which actually means the opposer, the one who uh, challenges. And um, you know, I, I don't know about you. Uh, those of you who've served NS, I remember before I enlisted in my NS, one of my good friends who had gone ahead and you know he was talking to me, helping me get ready and prepare. he said, hey, remember this, huh? don't try and be too outstanding. He warned me, the, the first uh, day you will do uh, IPPT, and during the IPPT, don't do your best, he said, <laughs> because you do too well. Later on, they always ask you to improve, and, uh, you know, you, 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 you will be uh, pushed beyond your limits. La. And those who are too outstanding will get all kinds of things. So I, I went, and I'm my usual person, and I'll try my best. And I was doing, um, this was, uh, mind you, 20 kilos lighter, and, you know, many decades ago. <laughs> but I was knocking out my chin-ups, and uh, I was told you, to get an A was 12. So I was reaching 11, 12, and I could have gone on. Then I remember what my friend said. So number 13, I, I, oh, I cannot strain, you know, cannot get up. I, I, and the instructor said, again, and then I pretended I couldn't get up. And sure enough, it was helpful because they insisted, you know, even if you can reach A, every time we had to do morning and evening chin-ups, they made you do more than you did the last time. And if you didn't, then, you know, you get in trouble. So it, that sort of mentality, we were taught. Obviously, no one gave Job that advice because Job was so outstanding. God highlighted him and that was the beginning of his troubles. Satan in chapter 1 insists and he says to God, of course, you look at him, he's so prosperous. All the things you have blessed him with, all the things you have given him, why shouldn't he worship you? Why shouldn't he uh, fear you? Why shouldn't he be turned towards you? God says, I don't believe that's true. Go ahead and do your worst, but spare his life. And, you know, for reasons beyond our understanding, you know, I don't even understand why (laughs) this is happening. But, you know, Satan does his worst and he loses everything. Not just everything he owned, but even his children. I mean, talk about catastrophe hitting him. It's like one uh, series, uh, bad news after bad news, one messenger after another telling him how awful it is. And this is where we pick it up in chapter 2. You know, it continues that again, God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And Satan answered, The Lord has said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you. And, you know, he's basically saying, you know, possessions, money can, you know, money lost can be earned back again. Right? You can return it. But we all know this, right? You can't buy health. Not really. Yes, you can get the best treatment available, but if your health goes there's nothing that you can do about it and so uh, satan's point is that if you remove his health from him he will surely curse you god and so again the rep- a repeat of what happened earlier he was allowed to be inflicted with an awful skin condi- condition you know which must have been very painful i mean you read the description of it it's an i wouldn't wor- wish this on my worst enemy And if that's not bad enough, it says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, he was also, by this point, his wife is so upset, he has a nagging wife to deal with. And not just an ordinary nagging wife, you know, curses him and says, better you go and die like you. Can you blame her? Right? You you see everything wiped out in your life. You've lost all your possessions. You've lost all your children. Can you blame her for being as bitter as she is? In verse 10 concludes, But he says, said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You can just imagine what would be going through Job's mind. I don't know about you. If I were him, I would certainly be asking that question, Why me? And the subtext of the question, why me, is really this. I don't deserve this. Why me? Why do I have to go through such difficult times? Difficult suffering. And look, Scripture is very clear that he was an upright man. In other words, he did not deserve this. This was not punishment. But I believe what it speaks to us about is this, that life on earth is really outside our control. Now, many of us uh, like to um, have uh, an illusion that we are in control of our destinies. I mean, that's basically how the world sort of operates, isn't it? As parents, I know I would get onto my children's case because I will tell them and I repeat to them, you know, strangely, the same words that were repeated to me, (laughs) which were probably repeated to my parents, (laughs) you know, study hard, if you don't study hard, you won't get good results. You don't get good results, you don't go to a good school. You don't go to a good school, you don't get a good degree. You don't get a good degree, you don't get a good job. Don't get a good job, you're not going to have a good life. Isn't that you know the the repeat you know? So we are taught from very early on be in control of your destiny. But you and I know that that's not always the case. All kinds of things happen. All kinds. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, the way COVID affects people now. There'll be tons of children who are going to be deeply affected, right? Because of all the things that have been happening, you sit down, I, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm <laughs> sort of allergic to our system or where, you know, your whole life seems to hinge on a single exam because anything can go wrong in a single exam. I, I'd rather we had a, a more, uh, I could, but that's not my place. I'm not an educator, so let me not get off the, the, the point. But the fact of the matter is, even if it's not that, you know, you can work really hard in life, and suddenly your boss calls you into the office and says, sorry, we have to make you redundant, because global forces, we have to shut down. It's not because you are not a good worker, but because our company cannot sustain under these circumstances. You know, and I could go on and on about all the things in life that we encounter, our health, our relationships, that, you know, spin out of control beyond what we can do. And it's clear to me from Scripture, and it's without a doubt, all scholars agree, that there is absolutely no correlation between what Job did and what happened to him. Therefore, disaster that befell him was not a punishment. I know what goes through your mind, went through mine. It's like when elephants fight, you know, ants get trampled, but that's another thing altogether. But nonetheless, you know, why am I saying this? Because in my uh, um, decades of ministry, I have encountered time and time again people that I minister to who go through really difficult times, whether it be health or relationship or you know, circumstance. And they often say to me, God, uh, 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 <laughs> they're not calling me God. <laughs> I did this yesterday. I don't know why I slipped again <laughs> today. Um, they say, Pastor, why is God punishing me? Why am I, you know, what What happened? You know, have have I done some awful sin that I'm facing this circumstance? And I want to say to you, for most of the cases when things like that happen, you know, we need to look carefully and be careful about blaming God and saying it's God's punishment because I don't believe that's the case. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't punish and He doesn't correct. You know, Scripture does say it, he, he does that. But in... Most cases, and in some cases, obviously, there is no correlation between the two. And I, I wanted to, to point out a truth to you. I used the NIV, which says it differently. In verse 10, he replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You know." And the implication is this, and Job understood it. God is sovereign. So there is nothing that happens in our life that is outside his sphere of control. But the implication of that means therefore if there is evil in our life, there's suffering in our life, God somehow has a hand in it. Now it's clear to me from scripture that God is not the author of evil. Right? He did not create evil and we can get into another theological discussion about that. But I don't want to go down some rabbit trail. But turn with me or look with me at this passage in James chapter 1. We didn't quite cover it when we looked through the book of James, but it's you know uh, it sets up well, uh, this thinking. In verse 12 of James 1, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He's not the author of temptation, he's not the... Uh, 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 originator of evil in that sense. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it ha- has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And what James points out to us is so often in our lives, the trouble we face, very often the source, you know, is (laughs) the person staring at us in the mirror. That's why, you know, God gives us the Word of God as a mirror. To show up, you know, what is true. So instead of asking the question, why me? The more honest question we should ask is, why not? Why not me? You know, in other words, to look at ourselves first when we encounter difficulty and ask, you know, are we getting what we deserve? And I, so may I suggest to you that majority of the time, we do. I mean, just to use simple illustrations, you know, we struggle with health. Oftentimes, if you look back in your life, the culmination of poor diet, lack of exercise, poor sleep habits, naturally, your health begins to fail. Um, People who struggle, and I have in the past, struggle with finances. If you look into the past, you look at how you've managed your finances and all the poor decisions you made, it's no wonder you stand where you stand with the troubles that you face. And I could go on about relationships and uh, go on about the the circumstances in your workplace. very often, you know uh, one of my uh, seminary professors used to say, "The golden thread that runs through all your problems in life is you. that's the reality, and I think that's why, as Christians, we are called to you know take an honest look at ourselves and to be uh, uh, clear that's why. Uh, Having faith in God, as uh, Evangeline pointed out, means having uh, the faith to believe and to repent. Because that's what the gospel teaches us about ourselves. That every action does have an equal and opposite reaction. That is one part of the equation. But you know, that only answers this question, uh, why me or why not, partially. Partially. The other part is this, that there are many things in life that happen with no rhyme or reason or with no correlation to our actions. We live in a world broken by sin. And that is the nature of sin. Sin, you know, I've been talking to a a couple of people and you know, unfortunately pastors are not uh, exempt from sin. That there are pastors who have also fallen into sin and and in our conversation when we talk about these mutual friends you know you realize that the effects of sin don't only affect them they've lost their uh, job and their uh, livelihood but it affects their families affects the victims affects you know and it goes beyond those who have been ministered to by them their faith is shaken and and it you know it, you don't have to be a pastor to see how the effects of sin knock on and so many of us also face suffering because of that But it's interesting, and I'm giving you this spoiler alert, all right? (laughs) uh, In two weeks' time, when I deal with the end of Job, you know, God never really in this book answers that question, why? Why is not answered, although Job asked time and time again. He doesn't answer the question, why? But as we come to the conclusion and we reflect on this question, this title, why me? You know, in reality, I talked about that one subtext, I don't deserve this. But there is another subtext that is behind uh, a question, why me? And especially for us as Christians, or you don't even have to be a Christian sometimes to have that subtext. It is the subtext of, how does God work? What kind of God are you? There is a field of study in theology called theodicy. You know, theologians like to coin huge words so that you feel more intelligent than everyone else. Theodicy basically means, you know, how do we address the problem of evil in the uh, sphere of uh, a world governed by a good God who is supposedly all-powerful? Because if God's uh, a good God, then why does He allow such evil to exist? Maybe he's a good God, but he's not all powerful because if he were all powerful, he would deal with it. Or if he is all powerful, then he probably isn't good. That, you know, we are merely playthings. And uh, admittedly, if you look at this on the surface, this, this book, what happens, you know, between Satan and, and God, it's like, why? Why can I? You know, Job could ask if he had that curtain rolled back, and we would be asking that same question. You know, are we the ants? You know, who are uh, facing the consequences of a fight which is beyond mine? At the end of the day, I pointed out that this book is really about God. Is God wise and just? And this book of Job, really, the person who is on trial is not Job, but it is God. Is God wise? And is God just? And herein lies the problem. We won't find that answer in the book of Job alone, which is why Job is part of the whole canon of Scripture. You know, God chose to speak to us through His Word, and He gave us these books written over centuries by, you know, many different authors, but all pointing to the same message. And one of the reformational principles that we learn is that when we want to interpret Scripture, you need to use Scripture to interpret it. Because God speaks, you know, there's no shadow of turning with Him, as uh, James points out. That His character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, Jesus Christ is the same. And so, if we really want to understand God, we have to look into the sweep of Scripture. And one of the things we uh, learn and we discover is this verse, which I think all of us know well. Uh, uh, The words of Joseph spoken to his brothers. You remember the story of Joseph? you know, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery. And, you know, he lived a very difficult life. But at the end of the day, he rose, to, uh, you know, cream always rises to the top. In Joseph's case, he rose to the top of uh, the civilized world at that time. was a 2IC, uh, uh, second in command of the greatest empire, the Egyptian empire. And as a result, he managed to save his, not just his household, but the entire people of God, right? Because the, the brothers became the 12 tribes of Israel. And um, he said to them, As for you, you meant evil against me, you know, all the things that were being done, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I don't know if this is going to be a satisfying answer to you as we talk about this problem of evil and of suffering, you know, but I really, honestly, don't know why God still permits evil. I mean, I can give you a theological answer, and I have an answer, but you know, it, it's not exhaustive by any means. Uh, one of the reasons people ask me, you know, why doesn't he re- eradicate evil if he's all powerful? I I don't want to leave you with this question and not answer that. Uh, a very uh, simple and hopefully it's not too simplistic. an answer is this: you know, we often like to think the line between good and evil stands somewhere outside of us. Right, it's like we have this barrier. So these people are all evil. These people are all good. Right? And we would lo- love to, and this is human nature, it's always an us versus them. Right? They are all the evil people. We are all the good people. But the truth of the matter is, the line between good and evil runs right through every human heart. All of us, have parts in which, you know, it's Romans 7. The good I want to do, I don't do. <laughs> that which I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And we realize that evil runs right through us, that human nature, you know, the the, old, the flesh the, uh, um, Paul talks about, still remains, despite the fact that we've been redeemed and we are new creations. That, that God continues to do that work. That's why as you know Anglicans, we have this um, um, constant general confession every week. We, we do it because we recognize that and we come before God with repentant hearts, asking God to continue to remake us and to reform our hearts. And the simple answer to why I believe God doesn't eradicate evil is because if He were to ha- do that, He has to do it thoroughly. Which means He has to eliminate every single one of us. And God is not slow concerning His promises But his desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to salvation. So in his infinite wisdom, you know, he continues to allow evil to remain. Having said that, we see this verse worked out on the cross. What was intended for evil? Make no mistake, you know, if you think Job was righteous, you know, it says that Job was blameless. It doesn't say he was guiltless, it doesn't say that he was without sin because in fact i would argue if you read through the book of job you know later on as things get worse and worse he i think some of his attitudes you know crossed the line but jesus never crossed that line he who knew no sin became sin for us talk about evil you know an innocent man being punished Jesus is the epitome of that. But what was meant for evil, God used not just for my good, but for the greatest good this world has ever known. The salvation of humankind. The cross is where we see the goodness of God. The cross is where we see God's sovereignty is still at work. That, you know, despite the circumstances, we know that we can place our faith in Him because He is in control and He can turn. You know, that's, that's why we always cling to that verse in Romans 8, right? All things work for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Not that all things are good, but God can work through all things to bring about good. And that is where we place our trust. But let me end by looking at the... Um, New Testament reading, at least the first few verses in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1.1 Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, which He did. You know, The book of Job is, is one of the ways in which He spoke to the people of God. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature. This is what I mean when we look at a passage like Job. If we really want to understand how God is at work, ultimately what we do is we look at Jesus. And we interpret Scripture with Scripture, and we see that in Christ, God is not deaf to our suffering. He is not negligent in our needs. In fact, the reason Jesus went to the cross is because He knew the nature of sin and of evil, and His plan of salvation was through the way of the cross. And this is where we see God at work. And the invitation is for us to enter into that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and reflect upon the Word of God. Whatever circumstance you may be going in right now, whatever situation you find yourself facing, whether it be internal or external struggles, I hope that today's message helps you to put your faith and trust in this God whom we worship once again. The God who was there with Job, but more importantly has been revealed to us in Jesus. And understand that He is for us, not against us. That even the correction that comes is for our Good. And reframing our perspective and re-looking at this helps us then to learn and to grow. To take the lessons that God wants to teach us and allow Him to transform our lives in and through it. I'm going to pray for us right now, but I also want to make an invitation that wherever you may be or whatever you may be facing, whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or at home watching it live or in delayed telecast, I believe God's speaking to you and saying to you, I love you with an everlasting love. That what has been meant for evil, God intends to turn for good. And the greatest good is seen in His Son, Jesus Christ. Won't you accept Him? Won't you invite Him into your life afresh? Whether you're already a Christian or not yet a Christian, that invitation remains the same. Allow me to pray for you now. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God who loves us with an everlasting love that You remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that as we delve into Your Word, it shows us not only who we are, how we fall short, but who You are and how You have reached down to us and You have rescued us. Father, help us to walk in the light of that love, in the light of that good news. May it transform our hearts, transform the way we think, our attitudes, and the way we live. And help us, Lord, then in turn to become channels of blessing to others. That this good news that we have received, we cannot keep to ourselves. Help us, Lord, to share it with others as well. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Father. We ask all these things in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen. We're going to have the time of tree now. And I know offering oftentimes...